Mac Power Users, episode 441, MPU Plus for July 24, 2018. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Good. Uh, We've got to the end of another month, and we've got a whole bunch of feedback and other stuff on our mind, so it's time for another MPU Plus. You ready? I'm very ready. I I always look forward to these shows, but I want to get an update before we dig in and talk about what's on our mind, and this is probably on your mind. Um, You just got back from MacStock, so I want to hear about that and uh, hear how things went. Max stock was great, Katie. I, you know, I hadn't gone and I'd been hearing about it for years. A bunch of our friends have been going, you know, the whole thing started with Barry wanting to do a barbecue in his backyard and it turned into a conference from there. And everybody, excuse my voice. I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm dealing with something right now, I guess. Hopefully it'll get better as the show goes on. But anyway, so I, I went to Illinois for the weekend and it was a really fun trip. It wasn't too long, but it was just long enough. There were some great speakers there. It's a it's a really nice venue. It's a lot like Macworld in terms of the people there, but it's also a lot different. And it's a lot smaller, right, than than Macworld. Are we talking a couple hundred people or even that? You know, I never asked for the total number of people there, but it looked to me like it was under 200, whereas Macworld was like 20,000 or something like that. It was just crazy. Well, I don't think it was that big, but it was it was several thousand. No, no, it was like up in that neighborhood when you added, you know, you you know, think that back to the heyday with those big exposition halls and all the people going through there. It was massive. But the uh, but anyway, um, Mac stock is is more intimate, which is nice because everybody gets to know each other. You know, uh, one of the things I noticed when I first walked in the door was there were a bunch of people there that I have not seen since the last Macworld, you know, I was thinking about like Wally and Wendy Cherwinski and some of the other folks kind of in the old Macworld gang, uh, they were all there and that was really great catching up with them. But equally great was I met a whole bunch of new people, many of which were Mac Power Users listeners. And of course, the first thing they always say is, uh, number one, why, why isn't Katie here? We need Katie. So in fact, it started to make me feel bad about myself after a while. I got to tell you, Katie. And um, the second question was, do you have a sticker? And I gave away a lot of Mac Powers stickers. So it was fun. Oh, well, that's good. Um, they, you know, they have great speakers. Um, many uh, people that we know were there speaking, and it was just really wonderfully done. But to me, the, the real thing about it was the social element. Uh, all these people that love Apple technology getting together for a weekend. Like, for instance, they, they, everybody ate lunch together every day, which is not something we did at Macworld. And I thought that was great because you could kind of move around the room and get to know people. Uh, you know, the whole time I was learning things from people all over, really, the, the world were there. And it was just a lot of fun. I, I would highly recommend going. I'm probably going to go back next year. And uh, I'd like to see the numbers get up, frankly. I think it, it was so nice that I think more people could benefit from it. So I'd like to see that happen. Yeah, I, I've heard great things about it. I've seen a lot of pictures on social media. And unfortunately, it's a bad time of year for me with it kind of hitting in the summer. And I, I know a lot of people are off for the summer. It's kind of a, a busy time for me. And unfortunately, I think they announced the dates uh, next year. I think it's at the the very last week of July. And I've already booked my summer travel next year. I'll, I'll, I'll actually be on a boat um, at the time that Mac stock is going on next year, if, if, uh, if our, our plans hold true and, uh, uh the arrangements hold up, but, um, I, I think I'm going to actually be on a cruise at, while Mac stock is going on. So I will, I will think of you as I'm cruising up the Eastern seaboard. Are you going sailing? 
No, I'm I'm going on a cruise ship on a, a cruise. Um, yeah, up the up the eastern seaboard and and all kinds of stuff. Well, that'll be fun. Either way, I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. It, um, uh, and like I said, if you've got um, an interest in like the old days of MacWorld, maybe you never made it to MacWorld and you know you want to know what that was like. Uh, I would recommend MacStock. And and so there are um, there, there are actual sessions. I mean, people and I, I don't think you spoke this year, but I, I know like our friend Brett Terpstra drink uh, spoke this year. There, so there there's an actual conference, and they're, they're not tracks that you choose. Everybody kind of goes along the same set conference track, right? No, not really. They they do have some single session times, but they also have some sessions where they have sometimes where there are two sessions going on, so you can choose. Um, Wally Cherwinski did a great thing on multi-camera video that was very timely for me. Uh, Terpstra did some great stuff on tagging. Mike Schmitz was there with a whole bunch of advice on uh, productivity on the Mac. And and Bob Levitis was uh, the keynote speaker, and he talked a bit. You know, it, it really was a list of people that had been on our show. <laughs> and uh, it was great hearing from them in person, and they all did a great job. The other thing that was, this part was frankly better than Macworld. The the uh, rooms where they did the presentations were these theater-like rooms where they had the big screen, everything just worked. The seats were super comfortable. Um, it was it was just a really nice experience. I attended more sessions than I usually do when I go to conferences. Often I look at a conference as an excuse to, to spend time with people, but this time I wanted to learn a bunch. So I, I went to a lot of the sessions. Cool. All right. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad you had an opportunity to, to see some of our friends and hopefully the scheduling will work out so so that I'll get to go at, at some point. But uh, glad you were there representing for us. Yeah. And I probably will go back. I mean, that's a year away. So we'll talk about it as we get there. But but overall, thumbs up, two thumbs up for MacStock. Excellent. So you alluded to something um, on one of our previous episodes this month, and I, I tried to talk to you about it. And you said, oh, no, no, we can we can we can talk about it at the on the next MPU plus. And, and so we're here. Y- you have decided to take the plunge to something that I did years ago. And I've been telling you, you need to do this. There's no reason why you can't do this. I believe, David, that you have finally cut the cord. And by that, I mean uh, the cable cord. Now, I presume that you still have, because people will call and correct us. I presume that you still use your cable company as your internet provider, correct? Yes. That's why we have a podcast. Right. Uh, But you are no longer receiving television services from your internet provider. So how did that come about? Well, you know, we've talked about this. Like, you are the leader on this, Katie. And But the problem for me has always been all these other people in my house that watch TV. And I... um. You know, there's fewer people in my house. My daughter has moved out and, you know, my wife has gone back to work. So all of a sudden, you know, the TV isn't getting used that much. And I was just, you know, doing the thing husbands do. I was complaining to my wife saying, I can't believe we're spending $250 a month on our cable bill. Um, Do you really think we need cable still? And she said, no, you know, I think we don't need it. She said to the this to me, it it was one of those conversations you have with your spouse as they're walking out the door. And it was literally just as we were finishing breakfast. And I said, yeah, we're spending this much a month. I'd really like to save some money on it. Are you okay if we just get rid of the cable since we don't watch it that much? She says, oh, that's fine. Let's do that. You know, she agreed. She had no idea what she was starting. Yeah, she had no idea. Literally the minute, she, you know, her car is backing out of the driveway, I'm on the phone with the cable company. I waited zero time to get rid of the cable. And uh, it was a fun experience. I called them up and said, look, I want to cut my cord. And they said, we need you to talk. I, I use Cox Cable, which is the company. Yeah, that's who, that's why I have Cox, yeah. 
Yeah. So they said, well, that's fine, but we need you to talk to the loyalty department. And I was like, oh, brother, here it comes, you know, or I thought the it, customer experience department or yeah, one of those people. The loyalty department sounds very like Soviet era to me. I, I don't know for something for some reason that just the idea of the loyalty department really scares me. But anyway, so they put me on hold for the loyalty department. I wrote something snarky on Twitter while I'm sitting there on hold. And then somebody picks up the phone and says, what do you need? You know, I said, I want to cut the cable, but I want to keep my internet connection. And they said, okay. I mean, it was like, there was no battle, Katie. I was all ready for a battle and they didn't give it to me. (laughs) He'd probably just talked to someone forever before you and was done with it, you know? Yeah. Maybe somebody else had worn him down, but he was really cool about it. And I said, okay, well, you know, our bill is $250 a month. How much do I save if I cut the cable? And he said $150 because, you know, we have a a very high, you know, we have like the highest quality internet connection and between uh, me running my business on the internet and my kids streaming everything, we have to pay extra for the internet because we use so much data. But so that's still a lot of money, I guess, but, but whatever in Southern California, that's what you get for a hundred bucks. You get a good internet connection, but uh, $150 is a lot of money. So uh, he says, yeah, fine. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it off. Just return the box to the cable store and you're good. And that's literally all I had to do. So uh, before my wife arrived at work, we had no more cable. <laughs> and, yeah. So then I had a day to like scramble. So when she got home, I didn't, yeah, I wanted it to be a good first experience for her, right? Yeah, because otherwise you're turning it back on really quickly and going back with your head between your legs. Yeah, exactly. I've got to make it work for her. So we had an extra Apple TV. I upgraded the Apple TV because we got a 4K TV. I bought the 4K Apple TV, but we had the prior one that was in a drawer. And this would be the fourth generation that also that has apps, right? Yeah, exactly. The The prior one. Okay. Yeah, so I got that out. We only have two TVs in our house. We have one in the family room, and we have a little one in the kitchen that Daisy likes to watch when she's in there doing stuff. And um, so what I did was I went and got, you know, I unplugged the cable boxes, and, and it was it was amazing. By the time I got downstairs after the call, the cable's gone. I mean, they pushed a button, and it was dead. And so they were just as fast to get rid of it as I was. So I went down, unplugged all the cable boxes. I um. I, I got the extra Apple TV, plugged it in in the um, in the kitchen and, you know, put the HDMI port in, set it up. And then I got, you know, for the first time, I really organized all the channels. I had to delete a bunch of them like sci fi no longer works because we don't have a subscription to cable. You know, a lot of those channels require you to put your cable credentials in first. So I went through and checked the ones that worked and didn't work. And I got rid of the ones that didn't work. Some of them still work, but they have limited content. I think like, um, I want to say home and gardens and a couple channels that we watch a few shows on, but that was fine. You get enough that I'm okay. And, and so I got it set up and then I organized it and I put Daisy's channels at the top, you know, let me give you a pro tip. You you are probably aware of this, but our listeners may not be. Um, there is a, in, in settings of the Apple TV, particularly if you have the fourth gen or higher Apple TV, there is a setting where you can, um, set your home screens on your Apple TV to sync so that once you go through all that work to get them arranged just the way you want, that your home screens on each of your Apple TVs are the same. Yeah, that's what I did. I turned that on. So, and that's golden. It's great. So, and my point is I want my wife to feel like every time she turns on the TV, she's not geeky like Katie and I. So I just want to make it so she's got a good experience. 
Um, uh, one of the nice things is that the TVs both support the, I forget what the, what the, the acronym is CEC, but I forget what it, what it stands for, but it basically allows you to turn the TV on with the Apple remote, with the Apple TV remote. Yeah. I found that to be hit or miss. It, it works and then it stops working. And then sometimes it works again. I think it has to do with software updates sometimes. Yeah. Well, we've got a Vizio TVs, both of them, and it works. It's worked flawlessly. We've never had a problem. So I immediately removed the two remote problem. So I already had a, a win, you know, when she got home (laughs) and then the, uh, uh, the, uh, so then I got everything organized, you know, there's channels that she likes, you know, uh, QVC she likes, and you know, there's certain channels she wants. I, I put them towards the top so she wouldn't have to scroll and look for them. Um, you know, lately, uh, in our country, things have been a lot uh, really weird on the news. My wife's way of dealing with it is she likes to watch movies on the Hallmark channel. You know, that's her thing. So, uh, I went to load the Hallmark channel and sure enough, we didn't have access anymore because we lost our cable subscription, but they do have, a, a separate app in the app store that if you pay $5 a month or $4 a year, you know, if you pay, I think it's $50 one time, you get it for a whole year and you su- basically subscribe to the Hallmark channel, uh, then you get it for a year. So I did that, you know, $40 was nothing after I just saved $150 a month. And, um, my kids were pretty upset about the loss of HBO because they watch a lot of the HBO stuff. So I said, okay, we'll go ahead and subscribe to HBO. So we, so we added $25 back on, you know, between Hallmark and HBO. Uh, so now I'm, my savings are down to $125 a year, but $125 a month. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. And so, but everything was there that we largely needed. And, you know, I don't watch live sports. Uh, The news channels we want are on Apple TV. It was really a a painless transition. Now, I know Katie went and got like a a, a terrestrial channel uh, antenna and did all that. I didn't even bother with it because nobody really watches, watch that stuff anyway. Network TV is so dreadful anymore. Well, and now keep in mind, I mean, you are paying for more than Hallmark and HBO, I presume. You're, you're probably paying for Netflix and you're probably paying for um, Amazon and you get Amazon Prime. And you're probably, I'm guessing, maybe with your kids paying for YouTube Red. I don't know. We have Amazon and we have um, Netflix. And on Amazon, I play the extra $5 a month for Acorn, which is all the BBC programming. And so I, uh, but I was already paying that. Right. That's what I was going to say. I mean, so, so in, in total, you are paying more than $25 a month for your, for your total, total uh, television like entertainment package, but you were, you were paying that anyway. But $125 a month is $1,500 a year that you're saving. Yeah. Or a new Mac or three tick, three tickets to Hawaii, or, you know, there's just like, you know, you choose your <laughs> adventure here. Probably two people, uh, a flight and room and board at Mac stock 2019, whatever it is you want to do, you just say 1500 bucks. So, so I was pretty happy with myself. I got it all set up. Um, in a lot of ways, the TVs are easier to use now because we aren't using the input as much. You know, the only time we use the input is we've got a, a, a gaming system. And when the kids that come over want to play games, they have to change the input, but otherwise we're not even like playing the input swap anymore. So, uh, Daisy got home. I showed her how it, she loved it. You know, she's, she's in, she bought in cause we got that first experience done, right? And the kids will do, they don't care. The kids never really watch TV anyway. They're always on their iPads streaming. So uh, everything worked out really great. And I'm super happy to have done it. And uh, like Katie told me over and over again, I wish I had done it sooner. Yeah, I think I've cut the cord. I'd I'd have to go back and and listen to the original episode we did. But I'm going to say 
six years ago now, maybe, maybe a little more. And I haven't looked back and I can't imagine, uh, you know, in, unless my life circumstances change and, and somebody here really wants cable, um, I can't imagine going back. I do not miss TV at all. Um, I, I still like having the over the air antenna because I, I do still watch, uh, you know, some shows on ABC and NBC and, and CBS and those types of things that I pick up over the antenna. My solution has been to use the antenna with a TiVo to, to capture those shows and be able to time shift them. But I, I probably could get away with a CBS All Access or, a, you know, pay for ABC or, or those types of things. Or, But I, I will tell you, I've also found that as I've gotten busier, I'm just watching a whole lot less TV. I I noticed this summer that I've, I've got a three terabyte hard drive in my TiVo and that hard drive is 50% full now of shows I just haven't watched. So I finally went through... Um, you know, last weekend, and I deleted entire series off that, you know, I'd recorded thinking that I was going to watch them at some point. And, you know, I figure if you've gone through two seasons of a show without ever watching it, that you're probably a good bet that you're not going to. And at this point, you know, I'll just catch them on Netflix if I ever decide I want to watch them later. But there's a big time commitment to, was it Sheldon Cooper in The Big Bang Theory who said, um, it it really resonated with me, that if you decide to to pick up a new show, that's a huge time commitment. I mean, you're you're committing like, you know, figure the show's going to pick up for seven seasons in an hour and uh, an hour long show and you've got 25, 26 episodes a a year times seven years. I mean, that's a huge chunk of your life you're deciding to commit to the show. I don't want to make that kind of commitment to something and unless I really like it. That's why I like the BBC shows. I they're short. Like I uh, I found the show The Detectorist I've been watching. It's like six episodes per season and there's three seasons and it's over. Yeah, I I think uh this is something we're no longer weird. I I had dinner with a a group of of work um uh, work colleagues the other day and um yeah, I was just sitting around, sitting around the table, with a bunch of attorneys. And I was telling them they were talking about we were all talking about, oh, what are you watching now? And I noticed that everybody was talking about shows that were on Netflix, shows that were on Amazon, shows that were on streaming. Nobody was really talking about shows that were on network TV. And so I just piped up. and I said, you know, I I've I cut the cable years ago and I've I've never looked back. And I had, you know, whenever I said that before, I, I used to be kind of the odd one out at the table and people would say, oh, I could never get by without my cable. And I had a lot of people who said, yeah, I should probably do that down too. we're just not using it. Um, you know, the, the lone exception seems to be um, one guy asked me, he said, well, how do you watch, you know, live sports? And I said, well, I really don't care about live sports. I said, I guess I'll, you know, come over to your house if I need to watch live sports. But, um, you know, I, I do watch. You can some and there are ways around that if that's that's your big hold up. But um, yeah. And, and honestly, it's so much easier when you did it. It was a massive project. And for me. As you just heard, it was a couple phone calls and getting the Apple TV out of a drawer and setting it up. I mean, it was not that difficult. Yeah. So pro tip, um, what I would recommend that you do if you haven't already. Did you know um, you can get some double sided tape and you can tape your Apple TV on the back of your TV? You don't need one of those fancy mounts. Yeah, sort of. I I put double sided tape on um, on the back of it and I actually mounted it. There's a section on the wall where it, um, it fit in nicely. So I went ahead and did that. 
All right. So that's that's something you can you can do uh, if you if you do that with one of the ones that have the RFID remote, you want to make sure that that RF, the the sensor is pointing up so you can like bounce the remote off the ceiling and it will you'll have no problem with that. You can get one of those fancy brackets that's designed to go on the back of your TV, but you, you don't need to. A little double sided tape or some Velcro works works just as well to put your Apple TV there. A little dabble, do you? I, I had a problem with one of my TVs where I was afraid. I was so terrified the Apple TV was going to fall off the TV that I like I, I, I like put on all four corners all around it, just double sided tape. And I could I had to like pry the thing off the back of the TV. The same problem we were talking about with hard drives a few weeks ago. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's that's easy to do. But yeah, that's the reason why I actually frankly mounted it on the wall. There's like a blank switch plate there. So I mounted it over that because I wanted the sensor to be somewhere where the remote can hit. Once again, that's a kitchen TV. My wife plays it well even like when we have um tv on in the main room because it's connected a lot of times if there's something else she wants to watch she'll put it on the little tv so gotta make sure it's a good experience for her you know make sure that works um you might want to consider picking up an inexpensive antenna just from amazon or wherever i mean you can you can get some inexpensive ones for under 20 bucks it, it can be a good thing to have either during an emergency, during a hurricane, during, well, you don't have hurricanes, um, you know, during whatever, during a period of time when your internet is out, just to be able to watch the local news or um, something, local news, local weather, those types of things, uh, just to have that option to be able to see what's going on locally, because that will happen at some point. And just to be able to pull an antenna out or have an antenna hooked up somewhere to be able to, to see something local is nice. And especially if you only have two TVs, you could just probably hook the antenna up to your main TV and if you can find some place to hide it or just stick it in a drawer and pull it out when you need it. You, I, I bet where you live, you could probably pick up a lot of channels pretty easily. Yeah, you know, I, I should do that. That's a good idea. And they aren't that expensive. The other thing I had to solve is we've got our kitchen is connected to our family room. So, uh, and the way, you know, it goes with kids is that, you know, the TV remotes always migrate around the room. And so we're going to have two different you know, Apple TV remotes in the same room, and I want to make sure you have the right one in the right place. Uh, I have a little rubber Apple TV remote cover that I bought a while ago, and I just put that over the kitchen one. And I'm, uh, I don't care for it that much because it makes it harder to swipe. But, uh, but I put that over the kitchen one because I figured, you know, the kitchen has tile on the floor. That's the room it's most likely to get dropped. And I put it on that one. So now everybody knows which remote goes where. And, you know, also when you're placing your antenna, keep in mind that you can use that cable that's in your wall to stick that antenna somewhere else in your house. And then use the existing cable that's in your wall to, to back feed and to connect it. So you don't have to put that antenna right next to that TV if you don't have a good place to put it. That's phase two. But I'll tell you, phase one has gone remarkably well you know I, I yeah I, I was thinking about it when I you know you, you get to that moment of no return when I've hung up the phone with the cable company Daisy's not at work yet and I go downstairs and just turn the TV on and see that no cable is definitely off okay you know here we are <laughs> you know be careful what you wish for but it, it turned out really well if anybody's considering it I I strongly recommend looking into it because like I said the savings can be really substantial and um and depending on your habits, like I said, if you watch sports, it's probably not your thing. If you're a news junkie there, the news programs are there, but they're all, all, all it appears to me just a little time delayed. Um, so it, it just depends. But for most people, I think it's going to be just fine. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Anchor. You can learn more by heading over to anchor.fm slash Mac to start your podcasting journey today. Anchor is the easiest way to start a podcast ever. 
You can record a high-quality podcast, host unlimited episodes, and distribute everything everywhere with just one click. And it is completely free. Anchor's apps has some of the most innovative features around, like uh, getting voice messages from your listeners that you can then integrate into your shows. You can also simply transcribe segments, turning them into videos that you can share. You can add audio transitions and background tracks, and they feature detailed analytics so you can see how many people are checking in on your show. Plus, Anchor just rolled out the ability to record with up to seven friends anywhere in the world, and their audio quality is seriously good. You will get high bitrate stereo sound, so you don't have to worry about your episode sounding great. And for all of you iPad content creators, Anchor's iPad app offers easy editing tools, multitasking support, and the ability to drag audio in from ever from other apps. So head over to anchor.fm slash Mac to learn more about what Anchor can do for you and your new podcast. And while you're there, sign up and your show could be featured in a future ad by us. Again, that's anchor.fm slash Mac, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Mac. Head on over and start your podcasting journey today. Thanks to Anchor for their support of our show and for giving aspiring podcasters another way to get started. So I want to chat a little bit about Evernote. Uh, We've gotten lots of questions about Evernote and are we using it? Are we not? Is Am am I going to move out of Evernote or is anybody still using Evernote? I actually saw that um, Michael Hyatt was uh, in the uh, MPU forums. Did you see that he posted in there about his love of Evernote? Yeah. And uh, and I yeah, I did. And uh, I'm really happy to see Michael come over because, you know, he was one of the folks on Facebook and and I really love seeing that. So, uh, but, but this is a weird month for us. So after it took me a long time to cut the cable, well, it's taken Katie a long time to have second thoughts about Evernote, but is what's going on, Katie? I I love Evernote and I don't know that I will ever completely stop using Evernote. I don't know that I need to stop using Evernote, but I wanted to get a lot of stuff out of Evernote and, and really start being selective about the things that I put in Evernote and stop using it so much as an everything bucket and really start using it more for selective tasks. And I tell you, it, it's July, um, it's summer. Maybe this is the type of thing when we, we start thinking about projects, but this, this really comes to the front of my mind. My, my Evernote renewal date is December for, for some reason. I think this is one of those things that I like bought at the very end of the year when I was, you know, at the end of the year, when you have a, your own business, you, you buy a bunch of stuff because you're, trying to get all your expenses at the end of the year. Um, and my Evernote subscription renews at the very end of the year. It's like December 30th, I think. And every December when it renews, I think about, oh, have I ever, have I really gotten, you know, my money's worth out of Evernote this past year? And I think the last couple of years when the Evernote subscription renewal came around, um, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I, I probably haven't. And although I certainly don't begrudge Evernote their subscription pricing, I kind of wish that they would tweak it a little bit because it seems like there's a there's an awfully big jump between the free plan and the not free plan. And um, yeah, I, I kind of wish there was something in between there for people who would like to use it um, on a more limited basis versus people who are really using it for everything. So as, as you may recall, several years ago, I really stopped using Evernote as uh, a filing cabinet, as a as a paperless management system and started really moving all of those things just into stock PDFs and and, and keeping them in files and folders. And I've been very happy with that. So what I have slowly started doing is now going back and, and either deleting some of that old data that I just don't need anymore, or slowly trying to transition that out of Evernote and moving it into a files and folder system. 
Now, a lot of that data that I had in there were just PDFs that I dragged into Evernote. So um, those weren't too terribly hard to export out. The only problem is, is a lot of times I hadn't taken the time to to name them. So I'm having to go through and, and rename a lot of these PDFs that I'd previously exported into Evernote. But but getting the data out hasn't been that bad. It's, it's just been um, more so that I organized things in Evernote pretty poorly and I had not necessarily taken the time to name a lot of especially things that I put in Evernote early. I might have named the note, but I didn't necessarily name the attachment to the note properly. So I've, I've been doing a lot of that old cleanup. Um, and then I've been so trying to clear out what I don't need, export out what I do need, and then try to think about things that I'm using Evernote for that really might not be the best use for, for Evernote. So um, one instance is I've been looking at how can I use Apple Notes. Um, and I decided, uh, you know, it's very easy to export from Evernote into Apple Notes. You just export a group of things from Evernote. Uh, it, it creates an Evernote archive that you can save on your desktop or wherever. And then there's a way within um, the Notes feature to just import those into Apple Notes. And one of the things I did is I, I had collected quite a recipe database within Evernote. And I did a lot of sorting and clearing through that. If I just, I used the Evernote Clipper quite a bit to go through and, oh, that looks interesting. I'll clip that recipe. I'll clip that recipe. So I went through and I, because the, the Evernote Clipper, is, as Michael pointed out in the forums, it, there, there's nothing like it. It's very, very hard to beat the Evernote Web Clipper. Um, but I exported a lot of my recipes. And so now all my recipes are are in notes and, and cleaned up there. And that hasn't been a problem. I've been ready, easy to save stuff, easy to find stuff. And so I'm trying to slowly figure out um, what can I get out of Evernote and then what do I want to continue to use it for? And can I ultimately, by the time December runs around, get which is my renewal date again, uh, get myself down to the level where I can use just the Evernote free plan? And if I can, great. If not, we'll see. Yeah, well, I think just keep an open mind about it. The... Um... The Clipper is is pretty amazing in Evernote. Although with Apple Notes, and I haven't had a chance to write back to Michael on this, but Apple Notes has hooks everywhere in iOS and on Safari. I this month I tried Bear out again because everybody loves Bear. You know, it's a Markdown style notes collection app. A lot of people love it. You know, Federico I know uses it. A bunch of folks use it. But so I tried it again. But you know, Apple Notes is just integrated everywhere, and when it's made by Apple, that just gives you if you're using Apple uh, uh, hardware, it just gives you such an advantage. Um, have you tried to use some of the import to note stuff in Apple on Apple notes and on your uh, iPad, iPhone, Mac and all that? Yes, I have used some of that. Um, particularly when importing stuff from a website into Apple notes, it, 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 it's not as good as the Evernote web clipper. Um, but it's not bad. Well, yeah, I mean, you would know, I mean, you use them both, so I, I don't, but the, um, well, I'm glad to hear that the, you know, Apple notes, um, I've got now over a thousand notes in it. I haven't got a problem. When I was at WWDC, I was talking to someone who said that the way the Apple Notes database syncs, it could be more efficient, that it, it often syncs the entire database, which slows things down if you have a large database. I have not experienced that yet, but most of my notes, I mean, the vast majority of my notes are just text. And uh, occasionally I do put pictures and, um, and other uh, media in, but largely it's text and links. And it's been working pretty good for me. Uh, so I, I hope you uh, will keep us posted as you continue and we'll see where you go with this. 
Uh, one tip is, it, particularly for things that are um, web pages or graphics friendly, I've, I've noticed this a lot with my recipes. If you can get it into reader view, or sometimes things will offer you a print page with a simplified print preview. A lot of times if you go to that page and then pick that page to import into notes, that will give you the better result. Reader view in Safari is an unsung hero. I think uh, anybody who hasn't regularly used that should. And the way you access it is when you're in Safari on any page. Uh, if you just go up and um, it has to have a page that has a reader view available. Of course, the one I'm on right now doesn't. But it, it just has the, the uh, reader view button. You press it and it cleans up the page nicely. All right. What else is going on this week, this month? So I, you know, Rose and I did an automator's episode about email and she was telling me how great airmail is and how she's automated using a bunch of tools in, in airmail. And of course it got me thinking, you know, the grass is always greener. Uh, we did that show on Mac power users about two years ago now, where we really broke down all the iOS mail apps. So I thought, you know, it's time for me to go back and try and see if there's something better. So for the last two or three weeks, I've been using a lot of airmail, a lot of spark, a lot of dispatch and an apple mail. And I just wanted to, we aren't going to do a whole show on it, but I just thought I'd report back. Airmail is a lot better than it was the last time we talked about it on the show. It, it like, like the thing that used to make me bad about, interline reply, you know, where I go and most of the replies I do that are substantive, I go in line and I'll hit carriage return and write in between. So I answer the question that's in the text. And for the longest time, airmail didn't recognize that it made it look like my reply was part of the original message. They fixed that. Yay. Um, but there's still, the thing still would crash occasionally. Sometimes I'd write a message with it and I'd be in the subject line and I could not, it was on the phone, this happened to me two or three times, I could not get it, the cursor into the body line of the message, you know, so it just would not, tab key, tapping, there was just no way to get to the body, so I'd have to just delete the message and go into Apple Mail, write the message, and uh, one time, another thing that happened to me occasionally on the iPad, and I'm trying, I don't want to blame this on airmail, but I'm going to tell the story and maybe it was user error in the end, but occasionally I would tap on a message, but I would see it on in the message list and I would see a different message in the body. Like it didn't catch up or didn't like the trigger that says when he taps this button, display that message here just didn't trigger. And I don't know what the story is, but I caught it all the times except once. And then one time I replied to a message that I thought I had tapped in the left column, but I replied, I wrote my reply to a different message in the body. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so let, let's say I have a message from Katie on the side and a message um, from Rosemary on the side. And then I tap on the message from Katie, but it displays the message from Rosemary in the body. So then I write my reply to Katie and then I send it off to Rosemary. Does that make sense? Mm, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to me once. And I was like, you know, that's not good. My email shouldn't do that. Uh, the automation stuff is great. They do have more automation. Of course, uh, saving directly into OmniFocus is awesome. Um, the save to PDF. They've, they've just got a lot of great little bells and whistles there that Apple Mail doesn't have largely. And, uh, but, you know, it's just still not stable enough for me. So then I went to Spark. Spark is more stable. Spark is prettier. Um, but, 
I'm not sure. I'm still kind of playing with that one. And Dispatch continues to be a, a really great third-party email application. It automatically puts the name of the recipient. It saves the message format. You know, when you save a message, it saves it into the open format as opposed to AirMail, which saves it to the AirMail format, or SparkMail, which saves it to the SparkMail format. Uh, Dispatch allows you to save it to a format that you can then retrieve on your Mac. However, it seems like Dispatch is not getting that much love and attention from developers, and I'm not sure if they're continuing to support it, so I I don't really want to recommend that. Uh, I'm halfway through the Spirit Quest, but right now I I haven't seen anything that's so great that makes me want to leave Apple Mail. And honestly, Apple Mail solved a lot of the problems we used to have, like saving an email as a PDF you can do now. It's goofy. you got to hit the print button and then reverse, you know, pinch it to get to the menu where you can share it. But I have a really cool uh, workflow or soon-to-be series shortcut that, that automates that process. And... So, you know, I, I've kind of figured out how to make Apple Mail work for me, and it's just rock solid stable. I've never really had a stability problem with it. But if anybody's listening and they have an iOS mail app that I must try, um, put it in the notes for this in the in the MPU form, and I'll take a look at it. Because I think I've been re- largely relying on the big, the big contenders, you know, Spark, AirMail, Dispatch, the ones that everybody uses. Maybe there's something out there that's uh, another third-party mail app that I've missed. But... I'm beginning to realize that you know it's just really hard to make a good mail app. Um, I was talking to somebody, you know, kind of in the know at WWDC about the Apple Mail team, and I said it seems like they haven't done much. And and uh, what I was told was no, they work really, really hard on the underlying stability and also just uh, mail rendering, which is, I guess, a lot harder than it sounds. So uh, there's a lot going on there. I don't know. I'll probably end up back in Apple Mail, but I'm still looking. So. What's wrong with me, Katie? I can't just like settle on one. I always have to know what's out there. Yes, I have more thoughts on this later. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. In regard to email or just in general? No, just in general. <laughs> okay. Um, what about you? I've been very happy with Apple Mail and haven't gone looking anywhere else since. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus 3 for iOS. The Omni Group has been hard at work, and they've got their new version of OmniFocus. That's version 3 for iOS out now, and I love this new version. I use it both on my iPad and on my iPhone. One of my favorite new features is the improved forecast view. With the new version, OmniFocus mixes your due tasks in between your events in order. So in forecast view, you can see exactly how your day will ideally go. For instance, if I've got uh, an appointment at 8 a.m. and then I've got a deadline on a task at 10 a.m. and then another appointment at 1 p.m., they're going to show first the appointment, then the task, then the second appointment. So you actually see your day in order. It's just a really great feature. I've never seen it before. I'd never even really thought of it until it showed up in OmniFocus 3, and now I rely on it on every day. And uh, so much about staying productive hinges on setting yourself up for success without overdoing it, and OmniFocus does that. You can lay your calendar on top of your tasks in order, and it really helped me be more realistic in planning my days. And that's just one feature of the new OmniFocus. Focus 3 for iPad and iPhone. Uh, the Omni Group is a brilliant group of programmers, designers, and generally nice people. Uh, they're working hard now on OmniFocus 3 for Mac, which isn't far out either. So uh, it's a great application. I recommend it highly. I use it every day. And uh, go over to the OmniFocus website. That's at omnigroup.com slash OmniFocus 
and check it out today. And let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thank you, Omni Group, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So I know spring is the time when we're supposed to be, you know, cleaning out stuff and, and getting rid of things. But I've kind of been doing a little spring cleaning over the summer. I think that's maybe because sometimes we have a little more free time in the summer to to go through things and figure out what we can get rid of, what we what we need to keep. And I um, I've been trying to clear out some some tech gear that I don't need anymore. Um, you know, I. I have these home pods that just keep replicating themselves i haven't gotten any more there are only three still i, I was getting ready to, to unload okay no, so. no they're they're still only three um but i had some other audio gear that i was uh, uh, uh you know gonna get rid of because the home pods were replaced some stuff and um I, I had some other stuff that i didn't didn't need anymore and i was gonna get rid of it and didn't really have anybody that I could could pass it on to and didn't really know of anybody local who wanted it. So I thought, well, you know, this is this is probably uh, conservatively a couple of hundred bucks worth of stuff that that I can get rid of. So I, I did something that I don't normally do. And I decided to reactivate my eBay account. Um, and I put uh, some of the stuff up on eBay. And I put some of the stuff on uh, Amazon because, you know, Amazon has the ability where you can you can sell on the Amazon marketplace. And I got burned. I don't know if I just ran through a bad spree, but I got burned twice. And I'm trying to figure out is have have I just been away from the online sales marketplace that this is now the new normal and this is just how things go or is is this just did I just have a bad experience that I had two bad experiences in a row or or what's going on? Um, so what what happened the first time is I, I'm convinced that the person, um, you know, wanted my stuff because they paid for it. I got the money, got money deposited in my account, paid by PayPal, verified all that stuff, packed it up, shipped it to them. The, the stuff was pristine. It was in great condition, had photos, documented it, all the stuff get it from the person and then they get it and they say, uh, yeah, this, this is defective. I'm like, uh, no, it's not. I shipped it to you. It was great shape. No, the, this, the speakers are, are clearly damaged. And they sent me back these, these, I would call them cell phone pictures, but I, I, I gotta say, you know, these days our cell phones are amazing cameras. So there's no excuse for poor blurry cell phone pictures, but you know, pictures of this just destroyed almost speaker. I'm like, there's, there's no way that's my speaker, you know, come on. Um, but, but what do you do? You know, they filed a complaint and they want their money back and, you know, you, you sold me damaged stuff. And uh, anyway, so I, I ended up having to issue a refund and he's like, well, I'll ship them back to you. And I'm like, yeah, but that, that's what I want is your, your, your broken damaged speaker. Sure. Thanks. You think he had like a, he replaced a broken set and just decided to mess with you? That could be. That could be, you know, that they had the same thing and they were broken and they were just replacing it with the the newer set. I I don't know. I, I probably should have asked them to check serial numbers or, or that kind of stuff. But I I didn't think about the fact of uh, or you shipping. Know, maybe. Yeah. Or I, I asked them for pictures of the box and the box was in, in good shape. So I didn't I didn't check to to get serial numbers. But anyway, it's 
very, very bizarre what happened. And so I just, I, you know, I chalked it up to, you know what, this is the cost of doing business. You sell stuff online. Occasionally something's going to happen. Maybe they were in worse shape than I thought. Maybe they were fragile. Maybe they crumbled. I don't know. Guess that's possible. Maybe the person was scamming me. Maybe they were trying to swap it out with a damage set. Who, who knows? Whatever. Maybe something happened when they got them at their house and maybe a kid or a cat got them, you know, who knows, whatever. But, you know, so ended up not only losing you know, the money on that deal, but then also the the shipping, because you, you always pay more to ship this stuff than you actually get reimbursed for. And then the second thing I went to sell, I'm like, all right, well, we'll go, we'll go sell on Amazon. That'll, that'll be fine. I was actually selling a, uh, a label printer and um, sold that, knew it was working, knew it was in great condition, shipped off again. You know, Amazon reimbursed me like $4 for the, the shipping that cost me 16, but whatever, that's the cost of doing business shipped it off and then get this stream of nasty emails from the guy that I sold it to that I had sold him a defective printer and that it didn't work. And I'm like, Oh gosh, again. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> have you, have you unplugged it? Have you plugged it back in? Have you, you know, called tried turning it off and on again, <laughs> right? Have you installed the drivers that come with it? I mean, I was just convinced that this was a, a user area error. Um, and, and partially based on the emails that I was getting from this person, I kind of got the impression that they perhaps weren't the most sophisticated buyer, but no, they were just insistent that I had sold them uh, a defective, uh, defective printer. And so this person, I was like, no, you're, you're going to pack this up and ship it back to me. And uh, so they did. And well, I want my, my shipping back. It cost me $27 to ship it back to you. And, you know, they're going to open a complaint with, with Amazon and all these things. And anyway, get the printer back. It's fine. They, they, I think this was just user error. They had loaded the labels incorrectly and it was fine. It was perfectly good. I mean, I guess I could turn around and resell it, but you know, now I'm out, you know, shipping back and forth and I'm out, uh, you know, all this time. How much time do you think you spent on these two transactions? Exactly. I, it's, it's not worth it. So my, my question, not, not to turn this into a rant is, is, is it even worth doing any of this? I mean, this is not my job. I do not want this to be my job. It's not worth it for me to have a problem on, on these services. Y you know, what do we do with, uh, with this old tech and, and with this old stuff? Do you, you know, just, do you donate it? Do you, that's probably what I'm going to do next time. Do you, do you find a school or a charity to give it, give it to? Is it just not worth going through the hassle of trying to make a few bucks off of it? Well, I realize this is one of the rare episodes that we are actually sponsored by Gazelle, but uh, editorially, I'll tell you that I just sell it to Gazelle and it's, I've always had good luck. They send me a box, I send it in. There's never a problem. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine with Macs and, and iPhones, but you know. Yeah, working with a company, I think like a reputable company is the way to go with stuff that I can't sell to them. Uh, I usually just give it to somebody. I I have a big enough family that there's somebody that's going to want it. And if nobody wants it, the way I handle it is I just put it in a box and I take it to Goodwill. And you do get a tax write-off. I mean, it's not much of a tax write-off, but you get something for it and it's out of your life. But I, I, that's how I handle it. I, I don't want to deal with other people. I, I've had like one too many Craigslist transactions we have, um, you know, right now, this is the last, this is, I'll talk about later, but we're moving, you know, I'm, our house is in distress right now. There's stuff going on in every room as we're moving things around and we've got an extra bed and my wife's like, well, let's sell it on Craigslist. I'm like, why? You know, it's an old Ikea bed. We're going to offer it for 40. Somebody's going to show up with for $20. The whole thing's going to make me angry and it's not going to be worth $20. Whereas we can just give it to Goodwill 
and be done with it, you know, and that's it. And so, um, so my, my solution is usually to give it away, you know, find a friend or just give it to charity and be done with it. Yeah, I think that's a good solution. It's it's a little harder, and and none of these were big ticket items. We're we're talking sub two hundred and fifty dollars worth of stuff that I was selling. Um, it's a little harder to swallow that when you're talking about um, several thousand dollars worth of stuff. Yeah, but see, the only thing I have like that is usually got an Apple logo on it, so I I have a place I can sell that. So I don't know, and I guess that's my other question is uh, is and and sounds like you don't you can't answer me because you don't you just decided that you're not going to deal with these things anymore, and I guess now my conclusion is I'm not either. But um, is this just the new normal for these types of sites like eBay and the Amazon Marketplace? I was just you know I'm you know you were talking about how you spend money at the end of the year for uh, for your taxes. Apparently for me, the time I spend money is June and July because I'm setting up a home studio and doing all this stuff. And so I was on the phone earlier with Liana Lehua, sometimes guest on Mac Power Users. She's helping me buy the right lighting for this little video studio I'm making. And the exact same product is on B and H as as on Amazon. And Liana said, "Don't buy it on Amazon." I said, "Well, why not? I got Prime. It'll get here in a couple of days." She said, "Well, I had a friend that bought that from Amazon, and they got shipped a a fake product. It had the same label on it. It looked like and this is a six hundred dollar item that I need, and uh, and they got scammed, you know, by some kind of for uh, you know for uh, a product that looks like it but isn't the same quality, isn't the same thing. So just buy B and H. You know, you'll get it right from B and H. I'm like, even Amazon now, you got to wonder when you buy stuff." Yeah, but the good thing about that is if you're buying direct from Amazon and not a third-party seller on Amazon, you have a recourse. If if you can recognize that you've gotten a knockoff or if you've gotten a fake product, then then you can turn around to Amazon and and get a refund. I mean, I will I will say about Amazon, um, and and when you sell on Amazon, you've got to kind of agree to 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 abide by these things, which is why I ultimately had to bend over backwards for this customer who clearly had his own tech issues and not not my product, but. Uh, you've got a, a good resource because they do have pretty excellent customer service. Yeah, but that assumes that I'm going to be able to recognize it as, you know, a fake product. I mean, I, I, I just don't even want to deal with that. So I, I don't know. It's tough. I, I, don't, I don't think I have good advice. Hopefully one of the, the listeners does and can weigh in on the forum for you. But the small, you know, like a, a label printer that I would not, try to sell that somewhere i or if i had a friend that i thought needed a label printer and they wanted to give you 20 bucks for it or something i would do something like that but yeah dealing with strangers is just it's like hell i'm sorry yeah all right well usually i'm the positive one that that was my rant on that but yeah i guess uh i guess that's what we do now so we'll we'll talk about this more in the forum and, and see if other people have a suggestion uh, I talked about my dual monitors on the desk show. This is a little bit of, I guess, follow up, but um, I got a bunch of questions about that. There's even a, que- a line of questions going on in the forum about how I automate the screen display and, and put the apps in the right windows. Um, I just want to tell everybody I'm going to have some posts going up on that right now because of the construction stuff. I don't want to take pictures because everything looks like heck. But the um, next week, I've got so the posts already written. Once I can get some good pictures, I'll put them up. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to post the scripts as well, the keyboard maestro scripts, so you can see exactly how I do it. And um, I think it's pretty clever. So uh, watch MaxSparky.com uh, in the week following the post of this episode, and uh, and maybe you can use some of that stuff for your own your own setup. Even with one monitor, these scripts can be helpful. And um, on that topic, this is the last episode I will be recording from the Sparks family bedroom. <laughs> okay. 
Well, you know, we we had this episode recently about your home office and I posted my home office in the forum and you did not post the pictures you promised about yours and people were getting a little upset about that. I'm catching it, I know, but the thing is right now everything's torn apart. We got contractors running around here. Uh, we didn't tell the listeners, we had to set the timing of this episode because I had to set it in between the guy that was working on the floor and the guy that's coming to pull the uh, internet cord cable for me to the office. So um, it's just, everything's a mess. But by the time this show posts, if everything goes according to plan, you know how it is with construction, but this is not a big project, so I think we'll be good. By the time this show posts, I will have my home office, and then I will start posting pictures next week and give you guys, I'll give you the whole story and whatever you want, but just give me another week. Hang in there with me. Well, next week we won't have an MPU Plus, so maybe by the next MPU Plus we'll talk about it. Yeah, um, but I'm having a great time. I guess we didn't talk about that on the um, on the episode about what's on our desk, but... Uh, I am, I'm really seriously going to be doing a lot more video and some YouTube stuff. And I wanted, what I found every time I do videos, it takes five hours to set it up and like a half hour to actually record the video. So, uh, as I'm setting up my own home office, I'm also setting it up as a, a little mini video studio. So, uh, I'm very excited. I've got, I'm putting cork flooring in, which will absorb the sound. I'm, um, putting, um, the, I'm painting and setting up the background of the room up so it looks nice as a background of a video. I don't want to do like a green screen thing because then it's just a whole bunch more work to, to like do it right. And I'm even putting a power strip and some video lighting in the ceiling. So uh, when it's ready to shoot, I can just flip a switch and then start shooting video. And then the last part, which I thought was a really great idea, I don't know if it is or not, but this is what I'm going to do, um, is, you know, however, whenever you shoot, video a lot of times you want to stand behind a table or something you've got a product you want to put on or something and i was walking around home depot as i do and i saw that they have one of those rolling tool chests and i thought this would be perfect and i can just roll it in when i need to shoot video and roll it against the wall when i don't and it's got storage in it so um i am very excited about this as we record all of the construction stuff is going on but by the time this episode posts i hope i'm going to be settled in that space and i can't wait yeah. Do you see the, do you see the pictures I posted at my home office? That was a, uh, you know, what? Uh, in the last, I have been traveling most of the last two weeks, but I'm going to be in there soon. So I already went in today and did some posts. So I'm, I'm going to get caught up and, and see it. Um, it's been a lot of fun planning this. I hope it comes out nice. And it's funny because when I first left the firm, I have an office. I mean, we've talked about this on the show in the past. I do have like a physical address and a place where I can go have an office that I want, but I just I hate doing it. I hate it so much because I did it for 22 years and the type of law I do, I can work from home most days. But, and I always thought, you know, we've got this big master bedroom. We've got a nice corner reserved for me and that's great. And that's going to be just fine. But, um, now that I know I'm going to have my own space, I cannot get out of here soon enough. I, it's just like unbearable to me that I'm still here. And it's funny how that works. Yeah. Well, following up on, on our various home offices set up, um, people who did look at the post that I posted, there were, um, there was one comment in particular and I, and I'm not going to call the particular person out by name, but, um, they said something that I thought was important and that was, was worth touching on. And, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I, I don't have it in, in front of me. Um, but the, the poster said something to the effect of um, it, it's a beautiful space. I'm I'm very envious. All I have for my home office is, um, you know, just a, a, a fold out plastic bench um, or a fold out bench with a plastic top. It 
it does the job for me, but it's nothing to be proud of. And, you know, we've got, I started thinking about it, you know, we've got this whole category of, of home screens and office setups in the MPU discourse forums. We, we like as geeks, we, we've talked, um, we had a whole show a couple episodes ago about our home offices and we really like talking about these things. We like talking about all of our stuff that we have and our, our plans to, to do lighting in the wall and fancy cork boards and, um, you know, all the, the stuff that we have for these immaculate office spaces. But I think we, we sometimes focus too much on that stuff and have gotten away from the fact that, you know, if, if you've got a fold out table and that's where you can get your work done, that's fine. It's not about the fancy space that you have. I mean, David, you ran the Max Sparky Empire for for years from the corner of your bedroom. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at what you accomplished from that. And, uh, you know, probably one of the people that I admire most in life, and he, he's gone now, unfortunately, is is my grandfather. He was without a doubt um, a, a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, and I'm not saying that because he's my grandfather, but he, he was. And he would build a desk no matter where he was. And he was often in a space where he didn't have his own dedicated workspace, but but he would get, you know, a uh, a couple of two by fours or a, a piece of wood or once at one point he used um, a door and some bricks and he made a desk and it didn't have to be anything fancy, but it was his space and it was where he got his work done. And I think sometimes we, we get away from, you don't have to have all this fancy stuff. You don't have to use uh, five different, you know, word processing apps or have, a, you know, all the subscriptions to the latest services or tools or utilities or have multiple iPads and, you know, the latest iPhone and all of these things to be able to get work, work done. It's, it's not about your workspace. It's about the work that you actually do. Agreed. But at the same time, it is if you can. Uh, you, and you had to say, but, you know, OK. <laughs> no, but I mean, well, you, you cover two different things there. The first is uh, workspace. The second one is trying multiple applications. I, I feel like trying multiple applications. One of the reasons I do that is for the show. I mean, I would do it if we didn't have the show. But uh, the fact that I go down these rabbit holes allows me to share it with the audience. And I, I would like to think that have some benefit for people. Right. But I don't I don't want fe- people to feel like they have to do that. If, if you have something that works for you do it. And honestly, um, if you can put together your own space and make it the way you want, I think you'll be happier. And if you're happier, you'll do better work. I mean, I, I could work on a door on pieces of brick, but, and, uh, and I have done pretty rough work in the past, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to having my own space. So, um, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, but I also think it's okay to want to have something nice. No, it definitely is. It definitely is. But but I think what you should be proud of is be proud of the work that you're doing, too. Yeah, that's all that matters at the end of the day. So this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle. You can give new life to your used devices or get a new one by heading over to gazelle.com today. So if you have a used MacBook or smartphone that's starting to collect dust in your drawers, you can trade it in over at gazelle.com where they offer you the best value for your device. It's fast and easy and free to get a custom quote for your gadgets. And while you're there, you can check out their huge inventory of iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, and more. Their devices are certified, pre-owned, affordable, and perfect for you or your loved ones. So if you decide that you've got a couple of devices that are hanging around collecting dust somewhere, now's the time to maybe consider trading them in before 
you'd lose even more value or before you get scammed on eBay or Craigslist. All of their quotes are free. You simply find your gadget, answer a few easy questions about them, and you get an instant price quote. Their payments are fast. You can get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or a direct deposit into your PayPal account. And when you find yourself in a position where you need to buy a device, check out Gazelle. They have devices available that are in good, fair, and excellent condition. And these devices uh, may show some gentle signs of wear and tear, depending on which version you get. But they offer consumers great prices on still great devices. And most importantly, all of their devices have been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection process, ensuring that they're in perfect working order. And their devices are supported by all the major carriers, whether it be AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. I have sold devices on Gazelle. It's been a pain-free process. You give them a uh, the little information. They send you a quote. They send you a box and you're off to the races. Boom, you're good to go. And I've also bought by devices from Gazelle for family members or friends or for other people when you just didn't want to be in a new contract or maybe you found yourself in a position where you were unexpectedly having to buy a device. Gazelle was a great option. So you can give new life to your used devices today or trade in for cash or buy certified pre-owned by heading over to gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com today. And don't forget to let them know that you heard about them from Mac Power users. So we had some uh, feedback and questions from some of our listeners. On the last episode, I believe, with Tom Zaller, we talked a little bit about the plug bugs. He uh, recommended the plug bug was an accessory that he was using with his MacBook Pro to allow you to um, add a little extension. It's made by 12 South that um, will allow you to add a little extension to add a USB port, a standard USB-A port to your Apple charger. Uh, Wolfie wrote in to let us know that yes, plug bugs are still being made and they work with the new MacBook Adorable and MacBook Pro power bricks that he's used him with both. You can find them in the Apple stores or you can even find them on Amazon. Yeah, we also heard back on the uh, the episode on what's on our desk. Uh, one uh, common refrain we heard was people calling out for the CalDigit T3 Plus Thunderbolt dock with uh, 85 watt charging, um, USB 3 ports, generation 2 USB-C, just kind of the whole works. Um, several people wrote in endorsing that. It's not cheap. It's $340 on Amazon. But... Um, it uh, seems like that's one that may be worth looking at if you're driving a laptop and working on your desk a lot. Yeah, I I still uh, I think if I'm going to keep this MacBook Pro, um, I'm still thinking seriously about maybe getting a dock for it because this this dongle and, and cable situation is getting out of control. Yeah, I bet. I bet. The, um, some of the other feedback we got was a lot of people complaining that I didn't give a picture of my under desk, but you'll get it. I promise. In fact, by the time the show comes out, it'll be very close to being posted. So go in there. Uh, people asked, what is the software that you use to mute your microphone? Uh, the software that I use to mute my microphone, because I have a USB based mic is a program called shush S U S H. Uh, what I do is when I uh, hit, I've got mine configured to the control key. So I hit the control key to talk and I let up on the control key uh, and it mutes me. Yeah, I had um, several people write me and making recommendations on the because uh, I complained on that show that I couldn't find an adequate mute button for my mic. And someone sent me a link to the Whirlwind uh, uh, XLR mic mute, because if you recall, I have an XLR mic, so a shush will not work for me. 
And uh, so I, I tried that one. I, I tried several in the past. I talked about on the show. All the ones I got were bad. They had they let noise through, or they um, they just didn't work right. I'd press mute, and you could still hear me. But this one is really great. I'm going to put a link for it in the show notes. It's not cheap. It's seventy bucks, which is a lot of money to spend on it. But um, it's great because it's got a foot switch on it, and I just got that plus a a little XLR cable, and now it's down by my foot. And anytime during the show I want to, I just tap my foot, and my mic is muted. It's really nice. Yeah. Now I'd be curious to see where this holds up. You've had other mic switches in the past. Some of them have like 70% muted your mic, which mm, doesn't really help a whole lot. And then you've had some of them um, that will work for a short period of time and then ultimately die. Yeah. I hope this one, if that's going to happen, I hope it happens soon because I want to be able to return it. (laughs) Okay. But here I go. La, la, la. La, 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 la. How'd that work? Did you hear me? No, we didn't hear you at all. That worked. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a good, it's a good sign and it's got a green led on it. So I can see when it's hot and when it's not. So I don't, I don't keep the mute on. I just mute when I need to mute. Um, if that makes sense. So I, I think this, I find, I think I found the one, uh, it's like all the, you know, all this audio gear is expensive. If you want to get something that works, that's, that's the lesson. So by contrast, I do mine opposite. I push to talk and, um, sometimes I make comments because when I shouldn't, so that's why I do that. No, I'm just kidding. Well, now we know. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think everybody already knew that though, Katie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. And I think it was because, uh, I don't really have a whole lot of background noise here, but, uh, in it, it, before I had to remember like, Oh, I have to push the button if I want to talk. And it, it's funny. I don't know when that f- switch flipped in my brain, but it now has become second nature that if I'm, if, if I don't push the button on my keyboard, then I can't talk. Uh, we also heard back feedback. People were talking about, um, using the canopy from studio neat, which is a keyboard case for the Apple keyboard. I think we were talking a few weeks ago, um, about using a smart keyboard and the, the pluses and minuses of that. That's the cover that goes on the iPad that gives you a, um, a keyboard as well. A lot of people prefer the Apple standard keyboard that you get for the iMac, the wireless one. And Studio Neat makes this Canopy product, which is nice because it safely stores the keyboard so it doesn't get damaged. And when you unfold it, it actually creates like a little cradle you can put your iPad in. I thought that was a, a good call. I think we've talked about it before. I, I looked at the Canopy. I think if I didn't have the smart keyboard cover, which I love the canopy and the Apple. Um, is this, it's not the smart keyboard. The Apple magic keyboard. Is that what it's called? Uh, is the one that I would use. Cause it just makes sense. But I just, the, the smart keyboard has changed the way that I use the iPad. And, um, I, I love having the keyboard directly on the iPad, but yet having something that folds down small enough to be able to fit in my purse. Evan wrote in saying that, you know, he wonders if people will regret the iPad only choice when they're older and have neck problems from, all of the creaking they do while looking at the iPad. I don't know. I, I guess the, the message there is if you're going to be a, a large iPad user, you do need to take ergonomics into consideration. Uh, I, when I work on my iPad, usually I've got it at the right height. And uh, it is weird with the Apple Magic Keyboard that it does it has one viewing angle, which I think is usually just leaned back a little too far. But all I do with that is I'll take a pencil or a piece of rubber or something and I'll just stick it behind the uh, behind the iPad between that and the case and that'll change the angle and get me a, a proper angle for viewing it. 
but you never know. I, I think sometimes people, whenever we do these shows with guests that are iPad only, um, I, you know, it's, none of these shows are intended to convert you. <laughs> I mean, we're not trying to force anyone to stop using their Macs or stop using their iPads for that, that matter. Just, we're just trying to share the stories of the people that have done some of these things and they can tell what works and what doesn't and, and hopefully give you a better basis. I know for myself, uh, I do talk about the iPad a lot. I'm always excited about new technologies and the iPad is certainly a new technology compared to the Mac. But uh, I still spend a great deal amount of time behind this iMac every day. Well, and I think we're going to have different problems. And you don't hear as much about it anymore, but uh, repetitive stress injuries, particularly carpal tunnel and those types of things, uh, were, were big problems that people had. Um, and I think many people still do, but they were really big problems, particularly in you know late 90s and early 2000s. Um, probably still in a lot of industries, there's still big problems. I, I think we're going to see different types of, you know, our, our bodies were not necessarily designed to to manipulate these types of devices. So I think each of these types of things have their their own pros and cons. Another common refrain we heard in feedback from the iPad show was the uh, photos. Um, and I actually, people were asking me about this both at the London meetup and in uh, Woodstock at the MacStock conference. They're saying, well, if I go iPad only, how am I going to get my photos backups? Because on the Mac, it's, it's pretty easy to back up your photos library. Um, and I suggest to people, if you're going to go iPad only, uh, I would not just rely on Apple as my photos backup. Your photos are way too important. And, you know, Dropbox has a solution. There, there's several vendors out there that can uh, grab copies of your photos and save it somewhere else. I, I think Dropbox is the one I would prefer, but uh, Google Photos is another one that you can use. But if it is a backup for you with Google Photos, go ahead and pay Google so you have full-size images getting backed up. Or if you're really paranoid, do pay Google and Dropbox so you've got three copies of them. But uh, I do think if you're going to go iOS only, you need to have some uh, third party making a second copy of all your photos. And just uh, just to follow up on the iPhone is communicator episode, we had some feedback on that as well. And um, a lot of people talking about visual voicemail and video calling. And it's kind of fun talking about that. I I find um, I'm using video calling now more than ever. You know, during this last month, I've I've had to deal with my daughter moving out. You know, it's it sucks as a dad. I'll tell you that when when it comes time. But now I am so uh, eager to make video calls. I never made them before, and I'm calling her like on video like every day. I'm such a I'm such a weirdo, Katie. You don't even want to know about my trip back after I finished moving her in. You don't want to hear about that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. That's our favorite password manager for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. 1Password is a great service. I'd never recommend people buy Apple computers because, you know, you don't want to take responsibility for it. That's something they have to make a decision on their own. But when it comes to password software, I am always telling people to buy 1Password. In today's world, the Internet's a scary place, and you need something on your side that's going to protect you, and 1Password does that. Uh, 1Password will generate safe and secure passwords for you. It'll store them for you. It'll fill them in automatically. That's why they call the app 1Password. You just need to remember 1Password, but yet you can still 
still be safe on the internet. There's a ton of features in the application that both Katie and I use, but the one I wanted to talk about today is Watchtower. Um, so you know how you read a news article once in a while about a website that got hacked, and as a result, the passwords got compromised, and it's through no fault of your own. You know, it's, it, the users had nothing to do with it, but the people they trusted to save their data didn't save their data. Um, well, what if you miss that article? What if you use a service that gets hacked and you don't know about it? One password watches out for you. That's what they call Watchtower. It's a service that's been helping users identify accounts that have been affected by breaches for years. And they've got um, a really great way to run this. It's built right into the software. So one password users can now use the Have I Been Owned uh, database to find out if their accounts have been compromised. Have I Been Owned in its own spell with a P because, you know, hackers. But the, uh, they go and they find um, the list of the compromised passwords. So it will check against your database for you without ever uh, sharing your information with anybody else, but it can tell you like this password that you have is on a list of compromised passwords. And that's a good sign, especially if it's a strong and unique password that it's one of yours. So you have it run the test for you right out of one password. It tells you where you've got danger and then you immediately get on your horse and go to those websites and change your passwords or even close those accounts, frankly, if you're not using them after they've been hacked once, who knows when it's going to happen again. But this is something 1Password does for all of its users. Users. I, I love the service. I've been running it. I found a couple of mine that have been hacked that I wasn't aware of, and I took care of it right away. Uh, you get a lot more with 1Password. You get the secure notes. You get, like I said earlier, the ability to create passwords, so much more. But uh, the Watchtower service is unique and and one of my favorite reasons to recommend 1Password. And now, if you're already using 1Password, I'd recommend you try and find a family member that's not and get them on it too, because it's going to save you a lot of time and trouble. And they they will truly be thankful. I can tell you that a lot of people in my family, uh, they're 1Password users. They're not necessarily geeks, but they get it enough to do 1Password and, and they know that I'm looking out for them. Uh, to learn more, head over to onepasswordcom MPU, and that's in all caps, MPU. If you go there, you'll get 20% off. They've got accounts for families. They've got accounts for companies. We've got a family account here in the Sparks house, and everybody's on it. We've got shared vaults. It's excellent, and also a great way to get your family using 1Password. So once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU, and thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of this podcast over the years. We had some questions from the listeners this month. We do have a couple of questions. So the first question is from Meredith. Um, Meredith is starting a new business, and she wants to know what would be our suggestions for an email provider. Um, and we went, I think, different routes on this with email providers. And um, I, I guess we have a couple of different options that, that we can offer her. There, there's some popular ones like Google or Office 365 or FastMail or you could even, you know, just do an add-on with Hover and use an, an IMAP provider. Uh, but there are a lot of options here. Yeah. Um, and each one, uh, you just kind of need to be aware as you go through it. Like, Katie, I believe you used Google for your practice. I did, yes. But but you paid for it, right? You didn't just use the free service. Right. And so here's one thing that I, I strongly believe is that in if <laughs> I believe that you need to have a dedicated email address that's not just... Um, Katie, the lawyer at gmail.com, not my email address. And I really feel bad for Katie, the lawyer at Gmail. Cause you know, there's one, you Yeah, know, there, right? there is one. Don't, don't write that person. It's not Katie. But <laughs> even if you don't have a website for your business, which you should, 
um, it is not hard to get a domain and get email at your domain at a, at a bare minimum. And, and these people are, are often sponsors of the show. So this is not a, uh, an ad spot. This is just, this is who we use. Um, you, at a bare minimum, get yourself a domain on hover. And if nothing else for five bucks a year, you can get email forwarding and you can forward whatever at your domain to your current email provider. So if nothing else, you at least have a professional email address that you can put out there, that you can put on your business cards, that you can put on your mailings, that's that's uh, katie at katieslawfirm.com to, um, to to share with people, even if it, all it does is forward to your to your Katie the lawyer at gmail.com email address. It, at least it, you, the, your public email address that's going out there is a is a professional one. So that's that's one option. If if this is something that you're just dabbling in, you're not really sure that you're going to get much email inquiries or you just want to have an email address and and consolidate everything in one one major account, maybe the thing to do is to just get email forwarding. And and it costs you 5 bucks a year to start. So that nothing wrong with doing that. Um depending on your circumstances. That that's like the lowest possible cost of entry. I do think there's kind of like there's there's some definite benefits from each one of the the ones that we've recommended. Google is is excellent for all the backing Google stuff. If you if you like Google Calendar, like if you're already kind of in the Google system, uh, you can set it up there. Meredith, uh, do pay the fee to like host to have your own domain. And and frankly, I believe you get I'm not an expert on Google, but I believe you get more privacy that way as well. Um, so please do that. Don't just get a Gmail address. Go ahead and set up a domain related to your new business. Office 365, you're going to know if you need that. That's a very specific use. I think if you work in an industry where everybody's working in Microsoft Office and you want to be able to like share appointment data and work out of Outlook and do the kind of businessy things that people do with Microsoft, uh, you can do that. When I left my law firm, my old firm was on Office 365 and I just wanted to get away from it so badly. But, you know, for some people it works. And, And I would say if you already subscribe to Office 365, Look at what you're paying for that and then look at how much because it is an add on to add um, email. But so look at what the extra is to add on email. I went with Google because I already had an Office 365 subscription and I wanted to keep my email separate from that. I liked the the Google interface and the Google apps. And so I used Google or use Google for um, my contacts, my calendars, uh, my my email but I used, uh, it used to be, called, they changed their name like every six months. It used to be called Google Apps, and then it was like Google Apps for Business. And now it's called G Suite. How much, how much does it cost, roughly? It's five bucks a month per user. And and so for just me, it was just five bucks a month, or it's just five bucks a month. And then it's 60, so what's 60, I can do math, it's $60 a year, which is not bad at all. Um, it, but then you start thinking about as you add people, it's five bucks a month per each person you add. Now, for me, I um, when I was setting up my own practice, I really wanted to get away from the problems I'd been dealing with my whole life of, you know, my personal stuff's on one service and the business stuff is on a different service. And sometimes things don't necessarily jive well. So I wanted to bring everything into kind of the Apple system. I'm, I'm going to be using Apple hardware. I'm going to be using iCloud. So why not? Um, so I wanted an IMAP account. IMAP accounts are 
are not, they don't have all the fancy features of Google, but they um, are universal. And as we've already established in this show, I'm likely to try different apps out once in a while. And uh, with email applications, an IMAP account is, is definitely the most portable. Like Gmail works great in some apps, definitely in the Google apps, but not necessarily in all apps. So anyway, I um, the, the two options to me were Hover and Fastmail. Those are two reputable uh, services that provide IMAP service. Fastmail is very popular for people. Uh, Hover is also, I because I bought my domain through Hover for the firm, it just made sense to me to keep it all in one place. So, and the Max Sparky, when I bought Max Sparky in like 2006, um, I, um, I did the same thing. I set up a Hover email account for Max, Max Sparky. So I'd already been using them as my vendor for the Max Sparky account. So when I set up the Sparks Law account, I did the same thing. And so I've been running IMAP through Hover for years, and I've added a second account for my assistant. And over the years, it's kind of grown a little bit, but it's been really great because it's IMAP and it works everywhere. So, and I honestly don't know what I spent on it because it's kind of combined with my hosting costs and some other stuff, but it's in the ballpark as the others. And, um, and, but I think that's, that's to me, the calculus. If you like Google, if you like the Gmail stuff, look at Google. If you need 365, you know it, use that. Otherwise, if you need IMAP, I would look closely at Hover and Fastmail. And I'm sure some of the listeners may have some other recommended vendors for it, but don't go with a fly night by night vendor for your email. It's way too important. And and I would say, look at the benefits and look at the options that you have with, with each of your providers. Uh, Google is... Uh, you know, it's a known entity. Office 365 is a known entity. Um, I, I, I stick with somebody that that you know. Look at what are the features. Do they offer webmail? Are you going to ever need that? I think webmail is less and less important now that we all have, um, uh, you know, iOS devices and portable devices. But I, I, I think it's something you could be important because you, you may need to log in in some place unexpectedly, or particularly if you're going to have somebody else working for you, that might be very important for them. Um, the other thing you need to look at is how do you get your email out? If it's just plain old IMAP, it's easy to, to convert it over to somebody else. But uh, if you decide that you've outgrown the service or you need a different service, how do you move your email to another provider? So those are all things I think you need to, to be aware of. Yeah. And let us know what you decide in the talk.macpackages.com. And uh, if anybody else has email advice for Meredith, that would be a great place to share it. Yeah, there's a there's a thread going on right now there. Uh, Jonathan had a question about how to dispose of a dead hard drive. Jonathan has a hard drive that turns out it's died on him. And, you know, we've always said there, there are two types of hard drives in this world, those that uh, have died and those that will die. And so it's only a matter of time before you have a dead hard drive. And Jonathan wants to know what should he do with this dead hard drive? It's got data on it. Um, should he just throw it away because it's dead? Or does he need to do something else? It depends. I, I keep reminding listener Roger, who um, I don't think he's been on the show. He's kind of a friend. But he's been around the Mac Power Users community for a long time. He occasionally, he's an IT guy. And whenever his clients have old hard drives, he takes them out to the firing range and he literally shoots bullets through them. And I always thought, that was a pretty final solution for a, for an old drive. But the uh, I have, um, when I have drives that have client data on them, I erase them. Uh, multiple times, you know, as they do. And then I take them apart and I, I smash them with a hammer before I throw them away. Um, if I had one with client data on it, just stopped working on me. But I, I actually have a schedule where I, I, I've not had a client data drive go bad because I actually replaced them after three years. So they're cheap enough that you can, you know, replace them and not worry about them 
having the downside of, of a drive crash. But the um, but if I did have one go bad, I would just hit it with a hammer. A, there's a piece of concrete outside by my trash can. If you open up the drive, the case is has got aluminum or tin. They aren't very sturdy. And if you've got a big hammer, take a couple whacks at it and nobody's going to ever get data off of it. Now, if I had a drive that just had like family pictures on it or something that went bad, I would just throw it away. I don't think any, if somebody really wanted to go to the trouble to go into a clean room and try and unwind that data, they're just going to find out that, you know, we have a lot of fun together. Okay. My general. Uh Oh, yeah. uh oh, uh oh, here it comes. <laughs> um, I agree with the first part of what you said. I don't agree with the second part. Um, my general philosophy is any hard drive that you throw away should be destroyed. I I do a typically a at least a three pass, usually a seven pass erase on any hard drive that has not died that I that I can physically, you know, uh, mount before I get it out of my system because you don't know what data has been on there or will be on there. Even if it's not something that's important now, you just don't know what's been on that hard drive. Yeah, and so and he, even if I wasn't clear on that, any drive that I throw away, because like I said, most of my drive, I can't remember the last time I had one fail on me because I, I take them out of rotation on after three years. So um, I do the multi-pass erase too, even family photo drives. Okay. Well, so that's not what you said a minute ago, but just to make sure um, I, I then take them, I, I do the multi-pass arrays, and then I take them out usually in my garage and, and smash them multiple times with a hammer until uh, pieces come out. And then once the pieces come out, I feel okay to, to put them in a trash can. And then sometimes even for good measure, even be sometimes before I smash them, and it just kind of depends on what's been in the hard drive. Sometimes I will, um, I've, I've, I'll, I'll put like a bucket in my uh, laundry room and I'll throw them in a bucket of water for a couple of days first. And then I'll smash them to pieces. You could other, you could also, if you really want to go crazy, you could smash into pieces and throw the pieces in different trash cans, you know, like throw a couple away this week, throw a couple away next week. I don't know how far you want to go down this hole. Our, our point is do more than just toss it in the trash can. At the uh, Mac stock, one of Terpsha's slides says it's not paranoia if it's true. <laughs> Uh, so, but, but they had, I understand what Jonathan's question was that the drive had failed. It wasn't a drive that you could do a multi-pass erase on. And, um, in that case, you know, if you really want to be safe, like Katie said, take a hammer to it, drop it off a building, find a creative way to take out your frustration at that drive for failing you make it pay. So, David, I know we normally close the show with stuff that we're playing with, but uh, it is iOS beta season, and I know we are both now playing with the iOS 12 beta. What? You installed it? Of course. Yeah, All I did. Right. That was, yeah. All right, Katie, I'm I, so proud of you. I installed the public beta on my carry phone, so I'm on the public beta track. On your carry phone? On my ah, main you've phone. You've come so far. I'm so yeah. happy for you. But I waited for the public beta. How's it going? It is, uh, it's going. It's okay. Um... I it's uh, so you you know my thoughts on the the memoji things. Yes, and I just realized now you can make your own no, memoji. No, and I tell you, I have not. I have not even been attempted. I'm not even. I don't even know where the little memoji thing is. So I opened up the messages app. I don't even know where it is. I see. I don't think it's on my phone. I think they just left it off my version of the beta. I just realized I've been traveling the last couple of weeks. I just realized I haven't sent you a memoji for at least two weeks now i i need to get on it i don't think i have memojis on my phone you you will before the day is over 
I'm positive I don't have memojis on my phone. You will be for the day's over. Anyway. It's coming. So um, there, there's some things that I, I like about it. There's some things that I don't really care about. Uh, I really like the uh, the notification features, uh, the fact that I can group my notification. Uh, screen time is a little scary. We'll just start this by saying we're going to do a show when it releases to really talk about how we're using the features and make recommendations. But yeah, the uh, I think the notification stuff is great. Long overdue. And it makes me want more. You know, as soon as you start using it, you realize there's even further they could go down this rabbit hole. So today, I thought I was pretty productive today. Today, I've picked up my iPhone 99 times. I picked it up 15 times between the hour of between noon and one o'clock. And I had 48 notifications on my phone. What what happened today? I don't know. I thought it was a good day, but I find the screen time very valuable because I find it aspirational to, to try to minimize my pickups and to minimize my, my notifications. I don't think notifications have ever really been a problem for me, but um, I'm having a little trouble in the beta with screen time. I, I have this, uh, and I get this as a personal problem. This is a beta and I'm not going to try not to complain about too many problems, but um, I've been trying to, I wanted to set app limits, but I found when I set app limits, I was having a problem where when I picked up my phone or my iPad in the morning that all of my apps were locked out. I mean, it's clearly a bug in the beta. So I, I haven't been been playing with that, but uh, overall it's, it's been okay. My screen board probably crashes. Uh, my springboard crashes probably at least a half dozen times a day, but I have not had my phone crash. Yeah. So when you say springboard crash, you mean an app jumps, quits and goes to springboard? Yeah. Or I get a black screen that goes to springboard. Yeah. Is it a particular app or is it any app? Mm, I've seen it all over the place. I don't think I've had a springboard crash since I downloaded the latest beta. I'm on the developer one, so maybe it'll get better for you next with the next update. It might. It could also be a particular app that I just haven't identified yet. Uh, but I'm looking forward to... Uh, um, to to apps being updated i tell you though what i what i want to hear what you're playing with is i want to hear about siri shortcuts and what i have to look forward to yeah okay and i'll I'll get back to the other stuff but just before we move to siri shortcuts if someone's considering the public beta uh, that's good advice from katie the the big bug i have with the beta and this happens to me every year for some reason when i get on the iphone betas is it asks me to verify my itunes account repeatedly and you type it in and then it asks you again it's like it never gets the answer or something i don't know what the story is um there's a not now button i just click that all the time and it doesn't seem to have any effect um so um that's the bug i have to deal with so this stuff does not come without a cost but overall it's been very stable for me i don't i'm not having the springboard crashes katie's talking about um very often anyway uh so siri shortcuts so that is the you know workflow 2.0 um uh, siri has got the you know and it really it's like apple so often does they have one term that covers multiple things siri shortcuts is one one way method of it is it looks at things you've done on your phone and it offers you to create verbal cues to do it again if you play your cool jazz playlist every monday morning uh it says hey i noticed you do this a lot would you like to attach a voice command to just do that automatically and i am and i've been playing with that but then they also have workflow 2.0 which is a clean ui version of workflow it adopts almost all of the stuff from workflow um, there are some things that are limited. The, the biggest limitation in it right now is that saving files to Dropbox is is 
really just not working. And saving files to iCloud often only allows you to save it to a specific location on iCloud, whereas before you could save it anywhere. But that's not true everywhere. And, and once again, this is the beta process. So I, I hope I have more final thoughts on that when it comes out. But uh, one thing that I really like about the series shortcuts. Now, are you able to get that through the public beta, Katie, or you have to be in the developer program? For you have that? to be in the developer program for that. Okay. So one of the things they do, like there's access to things that we never had before. Like now I can actually change the screen brightness or turn on the flashlight. And, and there's certain things that you could just never do through the workflow app because it was Apple, you know, it was Apple proprietary stuff. Um, there is a, um, you know, there is a markup, API on the iPhone, like if you get um, a document on your iPad or your iPhone, an email, and you click on the little markup button, it opens up the document with rudimentary uh, markup tools, pencils, and different colors and things like that. You know, I'm talking about that little, uh, that is now a Siri step. So for instance, I've got a really cool workflow that I use that when I, uh, and this kind of goes to that problem I was talking about earlier, when a document comes in, I want to save it. So I want to save a document on iOS device to the action folder and going up to name the file is difficult, sometimes not even possible. So I've got a workflow now, Siri Shortcut I've created that says, um, when I tap on the sharing extension on a PDF, give this guy the option to save it to his action folder on iCloud, and then take today's current date and rename the file with today's current date and give him a query so he can type in the rest of the name. So like if I go out to lunch with Katie, I press this button and it'll say, today's date and I can type in lunch with Katie and it'll write Max Sparky expense at the end. And then all the Hazel stuff on the back end goes into effect as soon as I save the document. It's much faster to do it with this workflow than something else. But now I can drop in that markdown uh, API in that workflow. So uh, sometimes when my CPA gets the receipt, she doesn't understand what I'm talking about. So I can circle the entry on the receipt or write a note with my hand or my Apple pencil. And if I don't want to use that, I just click done and it jumps to the next step and saves the file. But I've been able to add an annotation tool to my save tool. I mean, it's, it's like really making your own apps and it's awesome. So uh, I think anybody that wants to spend a little bit of time with this stuff, we're going to cover it a lot here on the MPU when um, when the thing releases. Probably do a whole show on it, frankly. But the um, it's uh, it's really powerful, and um, you know, there's all this great stuff going around the internet. One of the, somebody wrote. Um, I don't know if you ever read or watched the Harry Potter movies or books. Uh, yes, yes. Somebody one of the one of my favorite ones that somebody came up with was uh, they they trigger the. Um, the voice command and then they say Lumos and it turns on the flashlight, you know, and it's like, how fun is that? Right. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty good. The, uh, there's some other limitations I don't like about it. And I don't think these are going to get fixed between now and release date. You, you cannot, while you can trigger one with your home pod, you cannot put input on it. Like for instance, when I make a new corporation, I have a, like a 15 step OmniFocus task, and then it, it writes up a document in Ulysses for me, and it makes a calendar entry. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens with one of my workflows when I someone says, make a new corporation. I, I've automated a bunch of it. And I would like to be able to say um, to my HomePod, you know, the magic phrase, and then make a new corporation, Katie Incorporated, and it would do everything and fill in actually the name of the company for me. But I can't do that because that workflow requires text input 
and you can't do that with your voice. So it doesn't allow you to in, to like pass data to the workflow. So I'd have to do that on my phone or something where I can type in. So like I, I already see areas I'd like to see improved, but it's a great first step. The impression I got walking around WWDC and talking to a few guys, uh, a few people that know things, how, how can I say that? Um, is that I think Apple's going to be paying close attention to how many people use this feature. And if people really dig it, they're going to get a lot of resources and it's going to get even better in the future. What happens if you invoke the command and say, oh, never mind, I had something all queued up and it's, it's just gone now? <laughs> oh, well, Osseo iPhone. Oh, that'd be cool. I, I, I'd have to look into that, but I bet you could get it to um, do a find. Maybe you could do a find my iPhone um, with that. I, I don't know. It won't, it won't just start hovering and come to you. No, it wouldn't do that, but you know, we can, we can hope and pray, right? <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there should be a whole series of Harry Potter related commands to my phone. I just have to figure it out. I, I, I'm going to be hitting all the common stuff. I think there's some Star Trek stuff in there. I think there's some Star Wars stuff. We got to We got to like work on it. In fact, this is a good one for the forum gang. Please share your ideas there. We'll report back because uh, we're all geeks. Let's let's make this work. A lot of people don't. I mean, almost nobody has access to Siri shortcuts yet. So that might be something better for when it actually is either in the public beta or when it actually ships. Yeah, but we can start. We can start thinking about it. Like, what, what command do you use to turn the light off? If it's Lumos to turn it on, what is the cancellation of Lumos? I never saw them do a spell to stop Lumos. I think it just stops. I don't know. All right. Uh, good stuff coming. We're going to be covering both uh, Mojave and iOS 12 as they come out. Maybe we'll talk about a little more leading up to it. Uh, the Siri shortcuts isn't the answer to everything, but it really does vastly improve Siri. And also workflow is way better with it. Like, like I said, the ability to just do things. Uh, when I was in London, Rose was telling me she's added one now that's a like a powered down mode when she gets on an airplane and it turns down the screen brightness and it that's a whole bunch of different things when you get on an airplane. Like I think she turns off the radio, turns down the brightness, and I forget what else she does. But it's just something that normally would take several steps, but now you can do with one command. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Mac Power Users. As always, it's been fun recording it uh, for the last episode recorded from the Sparks bedroom. I'll say that. Thank you to our sponsors this week, Anchor, Omni Group, Gazelle, and 1Password. And we can continue this discussion in the MPU forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. We will see you all next week. Next week.